and welcome to Myth Monsters. My name is Erin and I'll be your host for these little snack bite-sized podcasts on folklore and mythical monsters from around the world. These podcasts focus on the actual cryptids, folklore and mythic monsters from global mythology, rather than focusing on the full stories of heroes and their big adventures. I'll also be dropping in some references that they have to recent culture and where you can see these represented in modern day content so that you can learn more and get as obsessed as I am about these absolute legends of the mythological world. It's officially the last week of July and I am so glad. It's been such a mild summer. I also had a really big wedding last week. It was my dad's wedding, so I'm in full-on rest and recovery mode and I still don't wish to see another person in real life. I'm hoping to go and see the Barbie movie this weekend, alone, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to cry my eyes out and just want a female companion with me, so I'm sure I'll end up buckling and seeing it with someone I love anyway. Anyway, this week we're heading over to the land of wine, Romans and the Pope, and flying over to Italy for this monster. It is a bit of a weird one, but nothing we've not seen before. I've also realised that we've not really touched on Italy before, so I say heading back over all the time, but I don't think we've been to Italy before without actually focusing on, say, the Romans, for example. But this one is actually from Italian folklore and slightly religious folklore too. Yes, it is the monster of Ravenna. This monster is definitely a bit unique, as it's not really a monster at all, more one that was created from something quite sad. And you may feel that this one is quite similar to changelings from European folklore, and we'll get into the similarities later. However, this is just a small content warning for this one. It does have mentions of child death and neglect, so just as a warning for anyone who's sensitive to this. The monster of Ravenna was generally described as a newborn child from the union of a friar and a nun, which had a horn on its head like a unicorn, one hairy leg with a cloven hoof, and the other one with an eye embedded in the knee. It also had the letters Y, X and V on its chest, and sometimes was noted as being cycloptic. Within days of the birth, the description was changed to the child being a hermaphrodite, having bat wings, a bird's clawed foot, and eventually merged the two legs into one, as well as sometimes being described as having two heads. This monstrous birth was followed by one other, called the Monster of Bologna, and the child born there had two faces, three eyes and a vulva on her forehead. I wouldn't advise googling vulva. If you know what it is, you know what it is. It's the female sex organ. Let's just say that. This child was called Maria and she ended up living for four days before passing on. I hear you say, Erin, you sound like you were right at the beginning. This definitely isn't a monster. And you're not wrong. However, back when this monster was around, it was considered one because of the foreshadowing it was believed to have had. The monster of Ravenna was considered an omen, which is what really makes it stand out in history and stand out in our monstrum, and this is because of where it comes from. Ravenna is a city in northern Italy, just east of Bologna, and during the 1500s when this monster was around, it was the Italian Renaissance, so obviously lots of beautiful artworks, Da Vinci was around, all of that jazz. But most importantly, and more importantly for Ravenna, it was when the Battle of Ravenna took place in 1512. This was a battle for territory, and I won't go into this now, I will stress it more later, but the monster was born a month before the battle, 
and the French saw this as an omen from God, showing the grotesque amalgamation of all King Louis XII's soldiers and a display of disapproval to Catholic power. None of this will make sense, because I'm going to go more into why this battle happened, what this battle was later, but you can see the omen part is important, and that's really the good bit and the descriptive bit that I'm trying to get across. We'll go more into the historical context later. In terms of reproduction, unfortunately neither monstrous child lived long enough to reproduce, but there were other much less documented cases of deformed children coming in from Europe around the same time. However, these two are the only ones we are referring to exactly when discussing this monster, so there were only technically two monsters of Ravenna, and really that's a push. It was just one that was named this way, just another that was very similar at a very similar time, around the same area, but realistically that one was called the Monster of Bologna. Usually I would go into their food and how to kill them at this point, but because the children were so young, I would assume they had breast milk, and unfortunately whilst one died of natural causes, the other actual monster of Ravenna was left to die on a hillside of exposure. I will go into this more too, its historical context as to why that happens and why it had importance in this story. For etymology, it is what it is. There's nothing particularly interesting here, as it's a monster that was from Ravenna. However, I can tell you that in Italian, it's Monstro di Ravenna, which sounds great. I love Italian. Now, the most interesting thing about this monster, as you've probably guessed, is its history, with the amount of times I've said, hold on, I'll tell you the history later. Because it's not only relating to the Middle Ages and how they treated medical problems, but also to religion and the power of the Pope, which I've not considered in any episodes before, which to me is pretty interesting. The monster does itself have a birthday, which was the 8th of March 1512. Within three days, Pope Julius II was aware of it in Rome. During this time, the Pope had significant power, not only in Rome and the Vatican, but worldwide. If you look at Henry VIII, the Pope refused a divorce in 1534, and he created a whole other religion. It was a really big deal, and the Pope was a really big deal. And you could argue he still is, but he doesn't have as much noticeable power as he used to. The Pope actually created a rule that all deformed or disabled babies should be left to starve and die in the wilderness. So, this Pope probably wasn't the nicest person, but it was exceedingly common in these times. However, we have to take historical context into account. We are in the Renaissance period, but only just. Some would still consider this the Middle Ages, and there were no ways medically of treating anyone with a deformity or disability back in the 1500s. They would have usually died from something like infection, which was horrible, but just the norm within these days. Babies were in a massive boom, with an average of 7 to 10 children born to one family. However, the child mortality rate was 15 to 20% in children under 1, and 30% in people under 20. So out of those 10 children, maybe four would make it to fully grown adults if you are lucky. Anyway, we also said that we would go back to the Battle of Ravenna, which is super important within this monster's origin story. Now, superstition was rife within these days, but this ongoing war was called the War of the League of Cambrai, 
or the War of the Holy League. This war was between Venice, which at the time was its own state, and the rest of Italy, Spain and France. This began because the King of the Romans at the time, Maximilian I, wanted to be crowned by the Pope in Rome and had to go through Venetian territory to get there. The Pope actually wanted to push the Venetians out and so formed a coalition of France, Spain and the rest of Italy to do so, and the Venetians eventually surrendered. But how does the Battle of Ravenna fit in here? Well, that was when the French decided they still wanted Italian territory and fought the Italian forces, which were led by the Pope, as he was known as the Warrior Pope, Julius II. What does this have to do with our monster though, Erin? Why are you telling me about history? This baby was born a month before the conflict, as I said, and tensions were really high, and to have a baby born with horns and wings implies that God might not be on your side. So the Italian people and the Pope were very conscious of spreading these rumours, and they indeed lost at the Battle of Ravenna to the French. And as I said, the French actually saw this as a horrible amalgamation of all of King Louis XII's men in this horrible, deformed baby, and showed that the Catholic power just really wasn't holding up. So it was really a big deal for both sides, one for the winning and one for the losing. Another interpretation of the monster, though, is still religious, but it's that of a nun and a friar, two supposedly celibate religious roles, having a child out of wedlock, which is controversial in modern times, let alone back then, and it shows sexual immorality even within the church. So again, quite a big deal, especially within the Middle Ages, where religion was so important. What could actually be the monster of Ravenna, though, or what could be its problem? The most common thought is that it's a very rare medical condition called Robert syndrome, which is a genetic disorder which stops cell division in the womb, meaning that babies do not form bones, limbs, faces, anything that you can really pull a feature out of. The babies can have deformed skulls, shorter limbs, and unusual limb or feature placements on the body, which could reflect our monster. The condition is very rare, with only 150 known people to have it worldwide, but the mortality rate is extremely high, especially quite early on in their lives. Another potential condition may be mermaid syndrome, which is one where the babies are born with their legs fused together, and sometimes even their pelvis, spine and renal organs can all be missing or malformed. Unfortunately, this condition is fatal, and babies may be miscarried or stillborn, and if they're born alive, will only live a few days, much like Maria in our Monster of Bologna story. Both of these conditions could potentially be the cause of this monster's deformities, and it makes sense that little Maria only lasted four days, but these are both very rare conditions that most definitely wouldn't have been seen favourably in the Middle Ages, and certainly wouldn't have been treated. This is usually down to uneducated systems, and of course back in the Middle Ages we did not have the medical knowledge we have now, and we didn't have the technology either, so there was just no way to treat these babies. And as well as that, there was a lot of prejudice in regards to disabilities and deformities, it just was seen as more of an act of God that your child was disabled, rather than something that could just genetically happen. But of course, they had no idea about genetics either, so you can see how this unfortunately happened in this time. Lastly though, let's talk about mythical comparisons, because I did mention them right at the start, 
The most common monster I can think of is a botchling or a proyonyek. These were covered back a long time ago when I started the podcast journey back in 2021. And these monsters are the undead fetuses of babies who were improperly buried after being born unwanted. They were horrendously deformed, however a lot more malevolent than their fairy counterparts, the changelings. I do see a changeling link here, children believed to be swapped by fairies after birth due to birth defects and sometimes abused or killed by their human parents who don't believe the child is theirs. These creatures usually weren't as strange to look at as botchlings or the monster of Ravenna, but you can certainly see the similarities. If you do want to hear more about them, do go check out the episode I did on both of them. It was a merged episode, but please be mindful, it was very early in my podcasting career and the quality is not the best by my own mission. I'll probably be redoing that at some point. Now, on to modern media. There's nothing specifically on this monster, literally nothing. So here's a whole load of stuff on grotesque monsters and babies in the media. For art, you can check out artwork of this creature in The Ravenna Monster from 1581 and The Monster of Ravenna by John Ashton from 1890. There are other depictions of it, but they are very similar and there are no titles or dates, so they're very hard to describe to you. And there aren't really any independent artworks this week, so very basic, I'm afraid. In movies... We have The Hunchback of Notre Dame, A Monster in Paris, The Elephant Man, Dark Man, Freaks, Batman Returns, Igor, Friday the 13th, 300, Queen of Outer Space, Mask, The Fly, The Goonies, Moonraker, Van Helsing, and Grotesque. For TV, we have Game of Thrones, Supernatural, The Outer Limits, Doctor Who, X-Files, Grimm, American Horror Story, The Witcher, Batman the Animated Series, Cyber 6, and Love, Death, and Robots. In video games, we have ones such as Fire Emblem, The Binding Blade, Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, The Witcher 3, Street Fighter 3, Dark Cloud 2, Layers of Fear, Dropsy, Undertale, The Binding of Isaac, Fallout, World of Warcraft, Warcraft, and Diablo. My book recommendations this week are four Italian fairy tales by Lilia E. Romano and Howard Davy, and then Caterina the Wise and other wondrous Sicilian folk and fairy tales by Giuseppe Pitre for some really brilliant Italian stories from their actual folklore, not from Roman mythology. One that is probably overlooked by having such a Roman and Christian influence in the same place. So don't overlook this one. Italian folklore is really interesting. Give it a look. But now it's time for... Do I think they existed? Yeah, I do. Mainly because it's written into history that these children were actually born. Do I believe that they were monsters or omens, though? No. But I definitely believe they were real children, and unfortunately likely had one of the conditions I mentioned earlier, which gives them that monstrous appearance to middle-aged peasants. It makes sense. The world was a very cruel and obviously uneducated place back then, and children were a commodity that you had to calculate how death affected, and then account for it. It was a wild and horrible time, and I hope babies from these stories are in a much better place. I'm a big fan of the exhibit Bodyworlds or Corpoventen, which is an exhibit of plastinated dead people. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. It's fascinating, but some people are really freaked out by it. 
In this exhibit, there is actually a baby and pregnancy section, and they had a few babies with conditions like these who have been plastinated. It's a super interesting exhibit about human life and death as a cycle that never ends, and I really do recommend it if you're in Berlin. I believe there's one in Amsterdam at the moment, but it travels around the US and Canada as well. But I really do recommend it. I don't recommend it for a first date. I have learned this the hard way. Don't do that. It's not a wise idea, but I do recommend you go. But what do you think? Do you think the monster of Ravenna is truly a monster or just a sad story from the Middle Ages? Let me know on Twitter. I would love to know what you think about this one. Or X, sorry. Let me know on X. Oh. Anyway, what an interesting and yet sad creature to cover this week. It's been a while since we covered a child-based monster, and I do try and be careful with them. So I'm glad we got to cover it. It's certainly a unique one, and I hope you enjoyed learning about this one as well. Next week, I'm actually going to have a week off, because I realised that between March and September, which is six months by the way, I didn't put any breaks in this year, and honestly, I'm knackered. The scripts are nine pages long. It, It takes me a long time to research and write these. So I'm going to give myself a little break just for one week. But the week after, we are going to head back over to Old Blighty over here and look at a monster popularised by Harry Potter, specifically in The Prisoner of Azkaban. Get ready to shout ridiculous at the boggart from English folklore on Thursday the 9th of August when we come back. For now, thank you so much for listening though. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on the service you are listening on. I've got the Twitter or the X for any questions or suggestions on what monsters to cover next, and I'd really love to hear from you. The social media handles for TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and threads are Myth Monsters Podcast, and the Twitter is Myth Monsters Pod. But all of our content can be found at mythmonsters.co.uk, and you can find us on Good Pods, Buy Me a Coffee, and Patreon if you want to help me fund the podcast too. Before I go, my guest spot on Chat Tsunami came out on Friday last week. Please do go give it a listen if you're interested in me talking about vintage gaming, movies and mythology. And links to this are on the social media platforms. Come join the fun though, share this with your pals. They might love me as much as you do. But for now, stay spooky and I'll see you later, vibes. Bye.